Welcome to the Beacon Broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon Broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com beaconbaptist.com The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. We have been sojourning in the vine and vine dresser analogy spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 15 as he was readying his disciples for his departure. It is a very, very instructive section, and therefore we have hunkered down to look at many of the details. It's a familiar section. It begins with these words, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. We'll pause there. The the section goes on, but we will stop at that point and remind ourselves of the importance of abiding in Christ, how vitally important it is that we be joined to Christ in living union That's the new birth, that we be joined to Christ like a branch is joined to the trunk. If we're thinking in terms of a tree, for example, though here the example is a grapevine, but as a branch is joined to the trunk, there's a a life-giving union that is going on there. The life of the trunk is going out into the branches. And there's a circulation that's going on here. The branches are joined into the vine, and they are or into the trunk, and they are receiving nourishment from the trunk, and they are bearing fruit because of that nourishment from the trunk. And there's a living relationship there that is necessary if there's going to be any fruit that is produced. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself. It cannot bear fruit without being joined to the trunk. Without me, said Jesus, you can do nothing. And so this analogy from agriculture teaches an awful lot of important spiritual lessons that Christians need to listen to. Yes, that professing Christians need to listen to. Because not only does Jesus deal with Christians, true Christians, who are joined to the vine and therefore 
are producing fruit, but in order to produce more fruit, they must be pruned. But he also deals with professing Christians who are not livingly joined to the vine. And he says, those don't produce any fruit. They're actually dead, even though they're attached to the vine. They're dead, and they'll be chopped off and cast into the fire. They are going to be destroyed right along with the world. Even though they made a profession of faith, even though they may have been a church member, even though they may have been active in the activities of Christian service, they are spiritually dead, and they are going to be removed and destroyed. So there is an awful lot to be learned here. Take heed that you are truly joined to the vine. Look for evidence in your life that the life of Christ is in you. Because if it isn't, you are no true Christian. So we pause and welcome you to this Sunday, January 29 edition of the Beacon Broadcast. Thankful that we have this opportunity to proclaim God's Word and grateful that you are listening today. And very, very grateful to those whose financial gifts enable us to continue teaching God's Word on this station. If this program had to be removed because of insufficient finances, would that make any difference to you? For many of you, I'm sure it probably would not. But for those of you who would miss it, then perhaps the Lord would have you consider a financial gift to make sure that it continues on this station. Well, on the broadcast last week, we focused in on one verse, namely verse 4, that talks about abiding in Christ. Here it is, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And we talked about what this means. We understand, at least in part, the illustration, but what exactly does it mean? And we started that investigation by asking the question, what is spiritual abiding? What is this abiding relationship of which Christ speaks? And just to quickly review, I I mentioned three things that I think describe it pretty well. Abiding in Christ is, number one, dependence upon Christ, not self. Use that standard by which to measure the reality of your professed relationship with Christ. Are you truly depending upon Christ, not self? Number two, it is feeding upon God's Word, not mere religion. Again, use that as a standard by which to measure your profession of faith in Christ. Do you have Christ or do you have religion? A lot of people have religion who don't have Christ. But abiding in Christ is feeding upon the Word of God and depending upon that for the sustaining of that life. The life which God has given must be sustained. It must be nourished. You say, well, are you suggesting that if you are not nourished, that you'll lose your salvation? No, what I'm suggesting is that the life that has been given must be nourished. It will be nourished in all to whom that life has truly been given. But for those who profess to have that life and do not have, do not feed upon the Word, do not feel any sense of needing this continual nourishment, 
That is evidence that they've never truly been saved. You're not going to lose your salvation, but you never had it if you're not feeding on the Word. Abiding in Christ is feeding on the Word, not mere religion. And thirdly, I suggested that abiding in Christ involves communing with Christ, not mere church activities and certainly not simply emotions that have some kind of a religious connection, but truly communing with Christ in prayer and, of course, through his word, which we've already mentioned. Worship and fellowship. Worshiping Christ and fellowshipping with Christ is a good description of what it means to abide in Christ. And if those things are present in your life, then praise the Lord for it and give him the glory, because you have truly been born from above. And if those things are not in your life, then wake up and recognize that you are no true Christian. You need to be saved. As Jesus said to religious Nicodemus, you must be born again. And that's the message that many professing Christians, many church members need to hear. Unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. And the fact that you are religious is not evidence that you have been born again. Are you depending upon Christ, not self? Are you feeding upon the word, not religion? Are you communing with Christ, not depending upon activities or emotions? Now we will take up on the broadcast today, what are some of the results of abiding? We have talked about what spiritual abiding is, what it looks like, what it constitutes, what are the elements that go into it, but what are some of the results of spiritual abiding? Again, going back to verse 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And we're going to go beyond verse 4 to look at some of the other verses to answer this question, what are the results of abiding? And the first one is Christ-likeness. Verse 5, I, said Jesus, am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Much fruit. What is that? Spiritual fruit. What is that? The fruit of the Spirit. Read about it in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith. Nine elements that are described there as the fruit of the Spirit. Well, what is that? That, my friends, is Christ-likeness. Go through that list of the fruit of the Spirit and apply it to Jesus Christ, and you'll see that he manifested all of these things to the ultimate degree. What are they again? Begins with love. Who has more love than Jesus Christ? What are they again? Joy. Who has more joy than Jesus Christ? Though he was the man of sorrows, he was joyful, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And you can see that spiritual joy flowing out of the life of Christ, evidence of this spiritual fruit, and a reminder that this spiritual fruit is ultimately Christ-likeness. 
love, joy, peace. Who had more peace than Christ? He bequeathed it upon us. My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. Wonderful inheritance that Jesus gave us, namely his peace, the peace that he had to the ultimate degree that we have to a, to a um, what should I say, a measurable degree, I suppose, if, if things like that can be measurable, but they are, peace is present to some extent in the life of every Christian, but also it's intertwined with fear, it's intertwined with turmoil, it's intertwined with lack of peace so many times because we are still frail. And as we see more and more of this spiritually empowered peace developing in our lives, we are becoming more Christ-like because Christ has that in the ultimate degree. So I'm suggesting to you that the results of abiding in Christ are, number one, Christ-likeness. The more we abide in him, the more we draw our life from him, the more fruit we will see in our lives and the kind of fruit we're looking for is not how many people we can report that we have induced to make a decision for Christ, though evangelism is important, and I'm not trying to diminish that in any way. I'm just trying to point out the fallacies of some of the modern versions and perversions of biblical evangelism, and saying to you that counting how many people you think you may have led to Christ is not the fruit of which the Bible speaks when Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The kind of fruit that we find there is indeed the spiritual fruit of Galatians chapter 5. That comes as a result of abiding in the vine. Don't you desire to have that in your life? Don't you desire to have more of that in your life? Don't you desire to see more of that spiritual fruit developing in your life, filling your life, overflowing from your life? How does that come about? By abiding in Christ, depending upon Christ, not self, feeding upon the Word, not religion, communing with Christ, not so wrapped up in church activities that you don't have time to commune with Christ, not so wrapped up in emotions that you don't have time or that you don't have a desire to commune with Christ. The emotions have, in your mind, satisfied your relationship with Christ. The emotions are what you're looking for. The emotions are what what you point to as your relationship with Christ when you are very mistaken. And I'm not saying that our abiding with Christ is not going to produce holy emotions. Indeed, it will. But what I'm saying is that there are some very powerful counterfeit emotions that many people mistake for a relationship with Christ. Some of you have been involved in churches where the ultimate evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit is that people get so wound up emotionally that there's no time for a message from God's Word. I've, I've heard, I don't know how many times over the years, I've heard preachers who, who are involved in, in that style of ministry say something like, wow, we really had a great service 
the other day or last night or last Sunday or whatever. We had a great service the other day. Why, why the Holy Spirit got so active among the congregation that we didn't even have time for a sermon. And, and suddenly the Word of God is eclipsed by people emoting, people declaring their, their feelings and demonstrating, manifesting their feelings in various ways, many times very physical ways. People who stand up and do certain things, say certain things, move around in a certain way, and so forth. It's not always the same in every style of ministry, but it's the same general idea that emotional emoting becomes the evidence of the Holy Spirit, and that's what we're really looking for. All these other things are designed to get us to that point. And sometimes we don't get to that point. We just have a regular service. We have the the uh, choir sing, and we have the the trio sing, and the quartet sing, and whatever. We have have the music, and we we have some other things. And if nothing really gets going, <laughs> good and strong, then we'll have a sermon too. But if things really get going, oh, the Holy Spirit's at work, and so we just. Let things go and let this emotional emoting take place. And then we say, we really had a service last night. The Lord was really present with us. The Holy Spirit was really active among us. And it's like commotion and loudness is to our to the minds of many people in those those types of churches the evidence of the Spirit of God at work. That's the real evidence that people are abiding in Christ. Nope, you got it wrong. You've got it wrong. The evidence of abiding in Christ is bearing spiritual fruit. Love, joy, peace, peace, long-suffering, meekness, not wanting to show you show off, not wanting to call attention to yourself, but meekness, and so forth. So, Christ-likeness is one of the results of abiding in Christ. What's another one? Answered prayer. Going on from verse 5, verse six or verse 7 says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, there's the word again, inseparable connection, between abiding in Christ and feasting upon his word, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, what? You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. And dropping down to verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give you. Answered prayer. Answered prayer defined in terms of abiding and fruitfulness. Answered prayer that, when you understand it this way, is actually not prayers for things for me that I want and desire and think that I need, but prayers for the exaltation of Christ, prayers for 
the advancement of his word and of his work, prayers for the salvation of souls, the salvation of sinners, prayers for the power of God's word to go forth in greater impact, those kinds of prayers, prayers for God to supply the needs of ministers of the gospel who are proclaiming the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially when they are taking it to far-flung places where it has never gone before. And people who pray for those things and see genuine answers to prayer are demonstrating that they're abiding in Christ. That's the result of abiding in Christ. Many people are familiar with the prayer life, the remarkable prayer life of George Mueller of Bristol, England. (laughs) Not Bristol, Tennessee, but Bristol, England, a remarkable man, a humble man, a godly man, a man who exercised prayer to an amazing degree. And through the avenue of prayer, met the needs of eventually thousands of orphans in a day when there were many orphans in England because of because of economic problems in England, because of family problems in England, because of spiritual decline in England. There were an awful lot of children who had did not have a, a decent home. And these orphans were left to fend for themselves and became beggars and eventually prostitutes and so forth. And George Mueller took took so many of these off the streets and put them in houses, first small numbers, a dozen, and then it grew and grew. But he built decent housing for them and had a and had people that worked with them and had a program for them, structured structured order in their day so that they learned how to behave and learned how learned were taught what they needed to to learn in school and and learned most of all the gospel of Jesus Christ and many of them became true Christians and how did he provide for all of that through prayer remarkable 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 story if you've never read it you really ought to get a good biography of George Mueller and read it he prayed he prayed he prayed seriously and God answered his prayers because his prayers were not selfish prayers he wasn't praying for God to give him money for his desires and his needs. He wasn't looking for God to send him money so that he could buy a bigger carriage and have more horses and buy a bigger house and so forth and so on. Back in the days before automobiles, he was praying for God to glorify himself by helping him feed the orphans. One of the things that the Bible tells us is pure religion. Isn't that what the book of James tells us? That pure religion is caring for widows and orphans. That's what the Bible tells us. I'm looking now to find the exact um, reference in the book of James. True religion and undefiled, if I can find it here, I'm looking at it, my my eye is casting over it, but I'm not putting my uh, eye on the right verse at the moment. But it is here, it is here, true religion, 
True religion is caring for orphans and widows. Widows. Here it is, James one, twenty-seven. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this: to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. I'll read it again. Pure and undefiled religion. There are some people who don't even know that the word religion is used in the Bible in a positive sense. And I used it earlier in this very message in a negative sense. When I said, you should feed upon the word, not religion. It wasn't necessarily using it in a negative sense, but I was using it in the sense of structured, organized programs of Christianity that are not necessarily the the actual work of the Holy Spirit in lives. Someone has said that in the average church in America, if the Holy Spirit departed, people wouldn't know the difference. The programs would go on unchanged. His presence and power wouldn't be missed. I'm afraid there's there's so much truth in that statement that it hurts. But it but it's so very, very true. How many churches could continue on indefinitely without anything of any real spiritual power and spiritual effect being accomplished, but everything goes on as it's always gone on. You don't need God. We've got, we've got this thing down. We've got the programs. We've got the organization. We've got the activities. We know how to make this work. And that is religion. But we don't want religion apart from Christ. We don't want religion apart from the Holy Spirit of God. But here in James 1, we have religion used in a very helpful and positive way, pure and undefiled religion, before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans, that means to take care of their needs, to visit them, to meet their needs, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. There's two aspects of this. There are some in our day who are big on doing social good, but aren't much interested in keeping themselves unspotted from the world. And then there are Christians who are all focused upon keeping oneself unspotted from the world, which unfortunately in many cases boils down to sort of a pharisaical list of do's and don'ts, but don't have much interest in truly loving and caring for orphans and widows and actually giving, giving of our resources in order to meet their needs. But that's what Mueller did. He met the needs of thousands, eventually, thousands of orphans, and he did it through prayer, answered prayer, and by that demonstrated that he is a very strong human example of what it means to abide in Christ. What does it mean to abide in Christ? To abide in him in such a way that your prayers are answered. If you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. And you say, see there, it says, ask what you desire. Yeah, but the abiding part means that our desires are going to be shaped by our relationship with Christ. Our desires are going to be shaped by 
the Word of God. Our desires are going to be shaped by spiritual interests, not by material interests and physical interests and earthly interests. Our desires are going to be godly desires, and that's what happens when you really abide in Christ. And when you have spiritual desires, where you're where your burden, your heart's desire, is to glorify Christ and to see his kingdom advanced and to see his priorities being met in this world, then you are in a powerful place to receive answered prayers. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. What wonderful truth. And we shall look at it, Lord willing, again next week at the same time. Until then, good day. May God give you his eternal peace.